0: So excited to introduce Rogue Discs to our listeners. Guys, check them out on their website. Roguediscs.com or you can just scroll down in the description of this show and Anna will be nice enough to put a link right there for you to click and get on there. Uh, Nate, this website is awesome. When you get on the website, they've got the dynamic flow chart set up. You can put the specifics to the kind of disc that you like and they will go ahead and show you all the discs that fit into the speeds and the fade and everything that you want there. They've got more than 20,000 discs and over 600 mold and plastic combinations in stock they've got some awesome new hand warmers for those of us on my side of the country that are trying to get out there and play in the cold check out discs.com and nate for our listeners there's there, there got to be a way to save them a little bit of money right
1: oh yeah we got our code run it 10 percent off your first purchase i just want to thank them for coming on board It's awesome to have them working with us. And also say it's definitely hand warmer season over here as well. So I'm looking forward to trying those out. These are the electric ones you can recharge. I've been going through the Costco pack. I'm generating trash. I don't need to do that. I'm going to get digital with my hand warmer technology. Nate
0: Sexton stepping his game up, guys. So roguediscs.com, and we thank them for sponsoring this
1: podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Casey Smith of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you're listening to Running It with Nate Sexton.
0: Hey, Running It With Nate Sexton fans. I wanted to take a second and introduce our newest CBD partner and supporter of the show. And that's the folks over at Hempfield Botanicals. Now, Hempfield Botanicals may sound familiar to you because they are the official CBD partner of the Disc Golf Pro Tour and now the official CBD partner of Running It With Nate Sexton. When I'm out on the disc golf course, there's two things that are real important to me. I want to feel good and I want to play better. And I've been able to do that with the help from our friends over at Hempfield Botanicals. Guys, disc golf has a lot of wear and tear on the body, just like any other sport. This is why it is necessary to take proper measures to ensure your body stays in good health. You can do this just like I have with Hempfield Botanicals CBD Muscle Recovery and Salve. The muscle recovery is for those general aches and pains after a long day on the course, while the salve provides concentrated relief for areas that are causing more pain, such as inflamed joints or nerves. I've used the products that they sent to me and it's made a world of difference both during and after my rounds. These products are recommended by physicians, orthopedic surgeons, neurologists, physical therapists, and these products provide muscle recovery and pain relief for athletes. Hempfield Botanicals is a certified B Corporation, one of only 4,026 certified companies worldwide who use their business as a force for good. Guys, check out Hempfield Botanicals. Use code RUNIT20 and save 20% off. You guys are going out there, you're throwing discs, you're walking these courses, you owe it to yourself to make sure you're keeping your body in the best shape that you possibly can. And our friends over at Hempfield Botanicals are making that possible. It's organically grown hemp, no side effects, and just an all around great feel during and after your round. Guys, remember Hempfield Botanicals, feel good, play better we want to thank them for sponsoring this podcast and we hope you check them out
1: running it with nate sexton is brought to you in part by innova the company that drives disc technology forward stay tuned for what's next
0: disc golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the 2017 United States Disc Golf Champion, Team Innova Captain, and our host, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, Happy New Year, man. How are you?
1: I'm great. Happy New Year to you as well. We got a bunch of snow here in Washington, and we were down in Oregon for a little while enjoying that. I know it's nothing special for you, Buffalo boys, but for us, it was pretty cool. Got got a little sledding in even today. You know, what
0: was weird is that it was 50 degrees in Buffalo on Christmas. Um, my dad, who lives in Oregon, sent me a picture of snow, and it was 50 degrees, but it was raining here, so it was... Uh, It was kind of, it was kind of an opposite, but we don't worry. We got snow now and it's like 19 degrees and it's back to being miserable. So. Okay. um, Good. Good. No worries about that. Now, in the introduction, of course, everyone knows, Nate, that you are the Innova team captain. Um, and I just read before I logged on today that you have signed a three year extension. I don't think that there was any doubt that Nate Sexton, your team Innova forever, but congratulations on the, on the next three years,
1: man. Yeah, thanks. I think technically it was a 2-year extension, but that's a uh, semantics. I was I was already signed through 2023 and went ahead and and extended that to 2025, which is fantastic. I'm I'm super excited. They Innovas always been cool with me and uh whenever I've kind of said, "Hey man, I'd I'd be interested in extending," they've always said, "Oh yeah, let's do it." So that happened again and yeah, I'm really honored to be able to continue to serve as team captain and looking forward to some great seasons.
0: Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you out there for some great seasons. So, Nate, since like pretty much the inception of this podcast, we talked about who were some guests that we could have on, and we threw around a bunch of names, and one name kept coming up. And um, for whatever reason, we got set up with another interview, we got set up with this person there, and if you go back into the archives, which of course you can find on YouTube at Running It with Nate Sexton, or available on any podcast platform, after every single interview, Nate, you pretty much say the same thing, and you're like, yeah, it's great interviewing all these greats. We've got to get to Barry Schultz, and I think after we had elaine king on you were like you know we've knocked out all of the like you know mount rushmore type greats except for barry schultz we got to get to barry schultz uh so nate who we running it with today
1: (laughs) well it's uh ron russell no it's uh, we have uh, we have barry schultz today and i got to go down the list i got to give him his due before we hear from him i didn't type this all up for nothing so barry schultz two time open world champion three time united states disc golf champion seventeen time national tour champion which if you're if you're new to the game that would be the the equivalent of disc golf pro tours today seven time u s masters champion so that's going to be for forty and over players, and overall fifteen time major champion, the first man to win world titles in the open division the forty plus and as of this year, in 2021, the 50-plus division and one of the smoothest throwers of all time, it's Mr. Barry Schultz. Thank you for joining us, Barry.
2: Hey, Nate. Hey, Jared. Thanks. That was a nice introduction. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, you guys don't make it easy on me. I had the same thing with Kenny. It's kind of like, a you know, you can't really leave a lot of those accolades out. It takes, about, takes a good 30 seconds to read through it. Well there's a
2: lot of night a lot of great uh new golfers out there and a lot of them don't know the history and it's always nice to be informed of what happened in our past even sometimes not so not so distant past.
1: For sure it doesn't sound that what doesn't feel that distant to me. I mean obviously you're kind of the the generation before me um and you and and guys like Kenny you know really inspired me in the early part of my career so I'm really looking forward to getting to talk to you a little bit about some of those big moments in your career but before we get to that Gotta just say happy holidays, and I know you're in kind of a different phase of life these days than you were back in most of the time we're going to talk about on this show, but how was your Christmas? How's your family?
2: Uh, I sure am in a different phase of life. I'm gladly there, to be honest. Uh, I always said when I quit my job in 2000 to do this for a living, I was going to live my retirement life then and get back to normal life, and I really didn't know how true that was going to ring until I got married and got the house, and now I have a child. So I'm living my normal life, and you know retirement has to wait again for a little while. Uh, but my, my Christmas and my New Year's was fantastic. Uh, the baby's old enough to really understand a little bit about Christmas. We had a great time with that, um, hanging out with family in Charlotte. And then we spent New Year's with a, with a small group of friends, uh, just bonfire and having food and drink and just
1: having a good time. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right. Well, we can get it. We can get into it. We'll start at the beginning like we always do on this show. So for you, you just kind of alluded to it, quitting your job in 2000, but you became a PDGA member in 1992 and you had your first professional cash that following year in 93. But it was kind of a slow build for you from that moment until you were kind of reaching the top of the disc golf mountain. As we told everybody, eventually, obviously, you're going to get there. Spoiler alert, he's going to win a lot, but (laughs) What were you doing for work back then and, and what role did disc golf kind of play in your life as you transitioned from like, I'm decent at this to like a world beater over those next six, seven years?
2: Well, as I started playing competitive disc golf, I was a teenager and there was really only men and junior. There weren't all these divisions that there are nowadays. So after I won a handful of junior division events, uh, the men said, come on up and play with us. And it took me a handful of years to win. I want to say 86 was my first men's title. And not all tournaments were sanctioned back then. And the first couple of times I planned sanctioned events as a kid, you know, am I going to spend $5 or am I going to spend $35? You know, that Yeah. paper out money is hard to come by. And so I went $5 on a couple of times. So I wasn't a member right away. And in fact, uh, I was looking forward to going to my first Worlds in Michigan. It was like in '92 or something like that, and I got my invite like the week of the event. And it's like, well, I can't get off of work and stuff. Like, that. <laughs> so like oh man, so I missed my first Worlds by a year. I had to wait another year, but um, I just had a little bit of success. Um, and I was gr- I grown up um, in the athletic world. I played all kinds of sports growing up, so I just knew the whole model of practice. Search out people that have more knowledge than you. Talk up as much as you can. Learn from yourself. Learn about yourself. And you know, always make forward steps, and that's what I did. Uh, I had some great mentors in Wisconsin, from a golf course standpoint and from a playing standpoint. So I'm very fortunate to be where I was when I was. Um, I was forced into a leadership role because our course pro passed away when I was a teenager. So I ran leagues and stuff like that, and had that background as well. So I really see big picture when I go to all these big events and stuff, and that's why I kind of gravitate to the people that volunteer and lead our events. I really gravitate to those people, and I find it interesting that they spend their time and energy for those events instead of, you know, other hobbies
1: or fans. Yeah. And I've said that a lot of times on this show, but it bears repeating that we'd be nowhere without a lot of those people to be able to kind of build the sport up to the level that it's reaching now, which is pretty crazy. I'm sure you, I'm sure you feel that way as well that it it really has kind of turned a corner lately, but on the efforts of people like you and all those other people that gave opportunities for people to compete and play over all those years before when, uh, there wasn't as much big money in the game.
2: Right. I mean, we're still a volunteer-driven sport. There's money to be had now because of the sheer numbers of people that are playing, the sheer number of events that are playing, but we are still a volunteer-driven sport. Uh, So it's always happy to see the excitement and energy in people's faces and their voices when you talk to them uh, on the golf course and stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. So obviously you, you had said you quit your job in 2000, so you're still working but uh, you started kind of touring around a little bit in like 96, 97, 98 from my quick look into your PDJ history. And the one event that stuck out to me as kind of a breakthrough moment was maybe and maybe you feel differently, but the 98 Veterans Park Open in Texas uh, right at the end of the season is a tier or super tour, as they were called back then, kind of the top level of tournament that isn't the world championships. And you ended up winning over Ken Climo, Scott Stokely, and Ron Russell. And I was curious, you know, did that feel like a breakthrough to you? Or how big did that feel to you back then?
2: Well, I think the moment for me might have been the season before the Bowling Green Open. Yeah. Really, really, really windy year. Uh, maybe not everybody was there that year. Uh, but the Veterans Park, everybody was there. The top There was probably eight of the top ten guys there. Uh, the end of the year, everybody was still kind of on top of their game. And that, you know, like you said, it really felt like, yes, this is where I belong. I've made the right choice. This is going to be good. I was really looking forward to what was going to happen in the, in the near future, you know?
1: Yeah. But at that point, you're still working a job in the time I, in
2: between. I sure was. I, sure was. Uh, I was working at a plastics factory funny enough, working with plastics extrusion. So I work with plastic and play with plastic. Oh, wow. I have a pretty a pretty deep knowledge of what happens to plastic when you're manufacturing it on, on a daily basis. I know it It can be a very fickle beast when you're running different humidities, different temperatures, you know, all that stuff really makes a huge difference on how plastic acts on a daily basis, and a minute-to-minute basis. So I tried to give my expertise a little bit to Innova at that time, but they weren't really on, on board. Funny enough, once I quit my job, then they actually realized I had some knowledge and listened a little bit. And I don't really know if I helped them or not, but i like to think maybe I did in a little small way. Uh, But they were having problems with the CE plastic when it first came out running it in certain ways. And I kind of gave them some words of advice. I don't know if they followed through or not, but i like to think it helped a little bit.
1: Wow. Yeah, that kind of jogs my memory to probably like 12, 15 years ago. I remember just you offhandedly telling me something about well, the pro-plastic flies farther because it's a little smaller or something, like coming out of the mold, like imperceptibly smaller. And I remember right. thinking, now it makes more sense why you knew that.
2: Well, you have all these different plastic types. Say, basically, in a, in a driver, inva makes, you know, four or five different plastic types, and each one of those plastic types is going to have a different amount of, uh, for a better type of uh, term, uh, moisture in it. You know, yeah. So over time, it shrinks, you know, that, 30 seconds in the dye and over another 24, 48, 72 hours, it also shrinks some more. So the more moisture it has in it, the more it shrinks. So in that driver plastic, typically that soft ish pro, but not really soft, uh, shrinks more so, uh, after it gets out of the dye than the other plastics. So it would be just, very much smaller fractionally smaller in your hand smaller diameter and everything so and it happens in discraft it happens in all these new these other companies too if they sure. have a different type of plastic and different in the same molds they're they're going to be different diameters they may be hundreds of thousands of an inch but it's going to be different
0: all right guys we're going to take a quick break in the action so i can let you know about our friends over at high pressure stamps Who are High Pressure Stamps? Well, they're a family-ran CNC machine shop. What do they do? Well, their motto kinda says it all. They cut metal. And after being asked repeatedly about doing stamps for hot stamping machines for disc golf, High Pressure Stamps was born. They sell stamps in a variety of metals such as brass, copper, and magnesium. They sell foils and specialty patterns, and they even sell mini hot stamp machines. Now, for those of you who own your own shop or you run your own discs, you've always wanted to be able to stamp your own discs and not have to wait long wait lists or have orders fulfilled. Here's your opportunity. Want to know a little bit more about it? Visit HighPressureStamps.com. Check out the videos they have listed right there these guys can do some extremely quality and precision cuts and they can do some really detailed stuff. So no artwork, nothing that they can't do. Visit HighPressureStamps.com follow them on social media, High Pressure Stamps and remember guys, we're working with these locally owned and operated businesses. They're supporting the show go ahead and support them so we can keep putting these shows out. HighPressureStamps.com get all your hot stamping needs, your Custom foils, everything done, and tell them that Nate sent you. Highpressurestamps.com. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast.
1: And so what what year did uh, the, your relationship with Innova start, if you know, or or what um, about when? Um
2: I came down here for the ninety-seven World Championships in Charlotte and that was when they kind of took 20 or 25 of us aside i don't know if it was during the event or after the event and said hey we're thinking about making a team and that next year they came out with a team so i was part of the first team and i don't know if it's 97 or 98 when the official you know uh year would be but i um, don smith and lisa were here after the championship this year hanging out for a couple of days. And I I just stumbled upon some paperwork and it just happened to be some paperwork from back in those days. The welcome letter from Dave Donapace and the Harold Duvall welcomed me to the team.
1: Oh, that's uh, a cool piece of history. And, nice. And, and
2: some really nice things about new discs, you know, you know, some different discs that came out at those times and what they were meant to be. And, you know, like, I think one of them was the Puma, the Puma came out and it gave me a little half, two paragraphs on how it was supposed to be flying, you know, what they meant it to be and stuff. So, nice pieces of old history for sure i'm going to share on the internet one of these days
1: awesome man well cool so uh that 98 win looking forward into the 99 and 2000 season i feel like you kind of started to prove yourself as a top three player in the world taking third at the world championships in 99 second in 2000 but it was your breakthrough for the on the major stage was the 2001 usdgc where you beat ken climo by a single shot I was curious. I'm sure you have some good stories, but if you had a some big moment kind of memories from that final round, which I imagine must have been pretty tense.
2: Well, um, I don't remember it being a one stroke. I remember being comfortable um coming down the stretch, and I was thankful that there wasn't too
1: stressful. Um I think I it was. I think I looked it up. I thought I looked it up and it was one. Well, you maybe know, maybe you like were just adult, in the zone. My
2: memory can maybe not be so great these days, but <laughs> yeah yeah you know, I, I do I, I do remember that um I had a pretty good summer, but not quite the summer I wanted because I lost in Minneapolis the World championships. I knew those courses so well I was top of my game, but I was slightly distracted because of the world games I, I went to right after the world championships. I went to Japan right after the Minnesota Worlds and participated in the world games uh, and had a blast uh, doing that, but when I came home from that. It also strengthened my opinion of myself, my confidence in myself, that I could do whatever I set my mind to, and I just, I did something different in between the World World Games and the 2001 USGDC for my practice routines. You know, practice means so much to us as a high-end golfer, high-end athlete. Practice really separates you from your counterparts sometimes. You know, I yeah, know, you, know, you know that name, sure. And, you always search for different ways of practice. And I looked at it this way. I think I read something along the lines where Tiger said something or Jack did something, I don't know who, but some golfer motivated me. Where they said, I've played this hole a million times on the practice range. So I know what I'm doing when I get to this hole. It's just a matter of executing. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What did he just say? He just said he played that hole on the practice range. I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I, I played the course at USDDC you know, on the practice range, on the open field, the open field practice range, you know, a thousand times in between when I came home from Japan and the USGDC. I threw that shot on five across the water a thousand times in my head, you know, turnover, pretending different wins, pretending 300 feet, pretending 400 feet, you know, being really meticulous and exacting in my approach to my practice round. You know, I played, like I said, a thousand practice rounds on the practice field during during that time. And I think that helped me Really, my microphone focus uh, and help me decision making. Help me with my attitude and my energy level, and just my confidence and being calm and not being stressed about having to pull up shots. Um, it was just uh, a breakthrough for me on the practice range. I think that really helped me as far as that goes. And then, as you know, once you get some success, it can snowball, and you can have maintained momentum, and you can have more success. And just the confidence that what I'm doing is working keep doing what you're doing you know you're going to have success just keep going at it um and just learning about myself at that time what works for me what doesn't work for me sometimes that is more important than getting better at shots it's just knowing yourself
1: sure yeah i mean confidence does a lot for you i think even more than than a physical shot shape but i do think that's a great tip and that's something that i do from time to time though maybe not in that focused of a way which makes me think i should try it but i definitely when i'm at Winthrop up or another course, and I'm in the wide open practice field, I'm always throwing a shot and going, Hey, what do you think of this? Whoever I'm warming up with, like, imagine hole six, what do you think? Is that in the water? Is that good? You know, or whatever it is, you know, a hole that I'm, that I'm worried about, or a hole that I think is a challenging hole for me, I'll definitely throw shots and try to imagine the hazard being where it is, you know, even though obviously you are just in a wide open field. So if that's something you've never tried out there, new tournament players, I think that's, that's a great tip me. from Barry.
2: You know a long term practice routine can be very difficult to maintain. It can be hard to lose it can be easy to lose focus and stuff, so you're always looking for something to keep you focused to keep you growing to keep you going so uh, that's where I was at that point
1: yeah and and just just uh just so you you know you did win only by one, so I um, the memory uh maybe you maybe you just felt confident but it it had to have been kind of tense because you had a three shot lead, and Kenny clawed back two of them in that final round. Uh, and you ended up taking it by a single shot there in two thousand one.
2: I think I do remember having to get up and down from a w- sneaky weird moment on eighteen, long yeah. and wet, in the bamboo or the weird little stuff that was sometimes out of bounds, sometimes in bounds. You know, eighteen has changed so much over the years. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: cool. Anyway, on to 2002, uh, you ended up taking second to climb on both the World Championships and the USDGC. But 2003 was the year of Barry Schultz, as you were able to take your first world title in Flagstaff by six shots over Marcus Schellstrom from Sweden. And we got to get to the USDGC as well. If, I, if, if you have a, a, something you want to say about that Worlds, maybe now, because I think you know what's coming with that 2003 USDGC. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Flagstaff and what you remember from that event.
2: Um, I just remember I was playing good golf um, and I had a lot of confidence and I really was excited and confident in my practice routine, how I approached different courses and how I went and, you know, your first time seeing a new course and how you attacked it and how you, you know, tried to get to know it. I was really confident in that part of my game and stuff. Um, And I think um, I played well, uh, but what set me apart in that world is It was a very stressful and difficult event because of the weather situation and getting off of the mountain. Uh we had a snowstorm come and wreck one day at the mountain and we had to cancel around and we went back out there on the mountain, but then the gate was closed. So all of us had to walk halfway up the mountain and mountain and then walk up to the mountain to get to your shot. So it was kind of a very mentally challenging week. And I think, you know, there was only a handful of guys that given that kind of challenge were really going to be able to play at their best golf. And I think um, it, really, it really suited me well because that was – I like bad weather. I like difficult things. I like nasty things. It really fa- forces you to be able to be flexible and bend, not break. You know, So I, I really like that kind of challenge, and not a lot of people do. So uh, I don't mind it when it was like that. Uh, so, again, it gave me all kinds of confidence going in 2003.
1: You must be missing Wisconsin, all that good weather in Charlotte. If you're, if you're, if you're waiting for the tough stuff.
2: Yeah, you know um, that's kind of why, you know, I did well in the spring and in the fall because you know fifty and Windy isn't so bad when you're from Wisconsin. You know, ain't it so bad? <laughs> yeah, when, for real. is maybe a little bit unrealistic, un, you know, unexpected, but fifty degrees. You know, I play. I, you know, I grew up on Lake Michigan, so even in the middle of summer, it could be fifty degrees on the golf course.
1: You know, sure.
2: Right on the Lake Michigan. So, you know, it, I don't mind a little little challenge on the golf course as long as it's not silly stupid. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, a- on to that USDGC, because I don't think all of our listeners necessarily are gonna know about this one, but obviously you ended up winning. I already said it was the year of Barry Schultz, but the way that you won, maybe the most incredible finish in the history of disc golf, you and Ken Climo, after four rounds, tied eight shots clear of third place Scott Martin sudden death playoff that if you're familiar with Winthrop guys, I mean, it's changes every year, but this playoff was going to be hole one, hole 17, hole 18, all in a row and then do that loop again and again and again, if it needed. And you guys, you and Kenny both rattled off nine straight birdies to keep yeah. the, the thing deadlocked. And then you come to hole 18, the fourth time in the playoff, I thought maybe you could take it from here for that final hole. Well,
2: I had driven basically in the same spot on hole 18, you know, what, four or five times we played in, in a row there at the end. And Kenny was always in the same area too. I was up high with kind of a straight hyzer shot, and he was down low with a weird little flip-up hyzer shot, probably 50, 70 feet further than my shot. And he would always get that 25, 30 footer and be just fine or make it or even be closer than that, man. It's a tough shot. But he liked that low ceiling flip-up shot, so he was comfortable being in that spot. I made a couple mistakes with my upshots from those perfect spots, and had to make 25, 30 footers too. It seemed like we always had a 25 or 30 footer to be made to push the hole, push the playoff, and Kenny just couldn't make his 25 or 30 footer on that last hole on 18, and I had a little 10 footer to win. Um, It was just great with the crowd. You know, it wasn't the biggest crowd I ever played in front of, but it was the most energetic crowd I ever played in front of for sure. Um, And it wasn't just the playoff. You know, I think I was down. I don't know what the official was to start the round, but I know I was down six with six to go during the round. And there were people from Wisconsin all over the place in the crowd still giving me positive energy that that you can do it. So, and with the year, you know, we don't play 888 with the curb anymore. You know, we don't play 17 with a wide open do whatever you want hay bales anymore so it's a little bit different and whole 16 i don't know if you got to play whole 16
1: the original 16. i, I know, didn't i've ball seen ball. Vid- i had the dvd of this epic playoff though so I, I saw i saw some of it but i never played it
2: oh bummer because you know nowadays that would be a reachable par four for some of these guys i was even rolling back in those days you know the second circle with a roller maybe sure but. Uh, but it was a fantastic view. It was a fantastic place for a crowd and everything with the lake. It was just, it was a great way to finish. I think that was the last year we played that hole too. So it would have been great for us to finish with an Eagle. You know, Kenny or I both had chances for it that last round. So it would have been nice to finish off with an Eagle, but we didn't. Um,
1: yeah. My first USDGC was 2005. So a couple of years after that, but yeah, like I said, I definitely had that DVD and I definitely watched that playoff quite a few times. <laughs> To, just because it was so tense and so incredible, all the clutch shots with with and, your and back against mean, the wall.
2: And, and I think it's fantastic that we birdied all those holes. Yes, you, know, you, you can say that maybe seventeen is easier now than it, or easier then than it was now, but you're still playing a playoff with stress and all that stuff going on. The same thing with one; it wasn't necessarily the hardest hole, but still, you're playing in a playoff. You got to you know got to get it yeah. done and we made it with birdies. So
1: I would go as far as That's to bad. say, as there there is no such thing as an easy hole in a playoff for the us <laughs> title like i don't know and that's my that's my feeling like anytime i've never been in a playoff for anything that big but even for a tiers times when i have been in a playoff there isn't there's no hole where you're just like well yeah well let's move on I, i'm looking past you this one cuz every putt
2: even a par four, you got an easy 140 foot upshot, you know, yeah. that's just, just a little bit about it, you know,
1: especially so. if you leave it 25, it's yeah, like, that, man, there's it's no, true. there are no gimmies in those situations. So yeah, the fact that it was, there wasn't one time where you both kind of took one off, missed your putts and then, okay, laugh about it onto the next hole. straight birdies all yeah, the way through. Of, and that's why kind of I think it's funny, the most incredible finish we've ever had in the game.
2: You know, Kenny and I were kind of laughing about it and, you know, we were, very hard competitors very competitive but we were friends at the same time you know so there's a much smaller group of people that traveled and did this for a living back then so you know i think friendships might have been stronger or as a whole i'm sure there's smaller groups that are very tight these days but as a whole uh the group was very tight and kenny and i were just kind of laughing about it, like this is so strange this is so awesome to be part of it you know we're both like right away this no matter what the outcome is here. We're both just so happy to be part of it. We said that a couple times, you know, you know, whole five or whole six or whole seven in the playoff. It's like, wow, this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's just such a show. I mean, all the people there are going to remember it forever. You guys obviously remember it forever as well. Really, really amazing. And I, yeah, I can't imagine. I I can only hope to be involved in something like that someday. I hope, hopefully, next year. We'll see. But, but man, yeah, just incredible to imagine that many birdies in a row, especially, like you said, being down a lot of shots. So you came into that playoff on a run of birdies. Yeah. Just crazy.
2: Yes, and Kenny, you know, I don't know if I've been great, as gracious as he has been. As many times as we reminisce about this, and we have a handful of times, he's never, ever had any kind of negative energy about, God darn it, I should have won that. I had the chance. I gave it up, blah, blah, blah. None of that whatsoever. He's always been positive because he knows – it's just a great moment in disc golf history, you know, so that just shows what a class person he is as well. And that we were really true friends at the time too. So,
0: yeah. He had a few wins under his belt at that
2: point it was okay okay to let
0: someone else drink and and, and eat that day but you know that was one of the things that I actually had in my notes I wanted to ask you about like because it's known that you and and Ken were friends Um, and I I think you know that rivalry as far as like the competition of gosh we both really want to win was there Um, I've seen people talk about you know they compare it to kind of like Ricky and Paul today uh, but I, I think everyone knows there's not a ton of love lost there between those two. Um, but with you and Ken you know, being so friendly, like are, are you, so you guys are like talking, having a good time, like during this playoff. I, I mean, are, is, is that when it's like you're playing with a friend or are you just like away from me and I'll talk to you at the
2: end? I think he may, you know, he probably feels that he played some good golf and just had some unfortunate things happen those last five or six holes. what can happen out there at, at the arena at Winthrop university. So, and he's had so much success out there and everything that I would say after whole two or three during the playoff, we were like, wow, this is, wow, this is really cool. This is awesome to be part of. So I think, like I had said earlier, he, we, we were friends, maybe not best of friends when we first started competing in 93, 94, 95. But I think by that time, you know, uh like I said, we traveled around together you know a handful of times a year for the last five or six years, so we spent a lot of time off the golf course together too, talking about life and golf, both disc golf and traditional golf so he 's a he is a golfing fiend man, even injured you know hurt sick, dying, he will go out there and swing the clubs as much as he can, you know, not just throw the disc so uh
1: yeah, for sure. I've have definitely <laughs> definitely talked to him about ball golf quite a bit and I, I hope he can get healthy and get out there and again one of these days. You've done an incredible job staying healthy through your career. I know you've probably had some injury challenges, but year in and year out you've been at the top of the game and still are, you know, winning all those Masters titles. It's a, it's a credit to the the work you've put in and how you take care of yourself and and the smoothness of your form really, I think.
2: Well, as I was when I was younger playing frisbee um with frisbees playing frisbee golf like I did in the eighties and early nineties, you really couldn't overpower a disc, so that helped me a little bit um and I think playing in the bad weather that I do did in Wisconsin, ice and snow and mud and stuff, you have to be kind of light on your feet, so I think over the years you know until I was about twenty four twenty five I kind of had tweaked my lower body a little bit, so it wasn't so stompy. I was heavy footed like Steve Rico and really really plant hard like steve rico kind of does and that really didn't do my body much good uh i changed my form a little bit here and there just to help my body out a little bit um and then it takes time to, when you change your form it takes time to get good and get consistent and stuff so i had some growth spurts and some plateaus and stuff in those early days but i was looking big picture you know i wanted to play this game until i was 70. you know if i made it to 70. so you know as i get, as i'm getting older you know i'm recovering slow more slowly from some of those injuries and stuff and those injuries are happening more and more often uh especially these last year or two i'm really becoming a weekend warrior i i never was a weekend warrior i played hard i practiced hard uh i tried to make sure i was active but with the baby as you know nate there isn't always yeah. time to spend, spend on yourself no matter what your job is you know sometimes you just gotta take care of the house and go at it and oops it's a weekend oh i got to go play kind of thing uh this happened to me a little more often than I would like. And I felt not so comfortable and not so much myself out there, but it's okay. You know, um, I've played a lot of great golf and I can play some okay golf and be okay
1: with it. Yeah, man. It's all, it's all, it, life is all just a bunch of trades. I feel like, you You know, nobody can have everything. No, you can't.
0: You've earned your spot. yeah, I, I don't really, think I don't think there's anyone on the course going this Schultz, shows up <laughs> once a week. There's this guy. Hey, where's he going with this thing?
2: I have a lot more respect uh, for the men and women that have, you know, large families or even small families that they're trying to take care of, uh, and trying to do all this stuff and play golf. It's it's very difficult. Hell, whatever their job is in life, it's difficult having a family if you want to do it right. So you know, I'm not traveling as much as I would maybe like to or want to with the way disc golf is booming these days, but uh, I'm gladly staying at home and, and spending time with my daughter. And, and yeah, that might change the next couple of years as she gets older, but you never know.
0: Hey guys, if you're anything like me, when you're out there on the course, you're not laying it up. And now you can let everybody know with your very own Running It with Nate Sexton t-shirt brought to you by our friends at VII Apparel CO vii apparel co formerly the savage apparel company is the official apparel partner of the disc golf pro tour they have the official jersey partner of Joe Mez pro and they're the official jersey partner of our host nate sexton and now you can get your very own running it with nate sexton shirt at vii vii apparel is the home of all your disc golf apparel for when you're out on the course they Represent disc golfers like Nate Sexton, Chris Dickerson, Avery Jenkins, Madison Walker, and so many more. Home of the Disc Golf Pro Shop, where you can start your own disc golf apparel line with VII. VIIApparel.co is your one stop company for all your custom apparel needs. They do it all from screen printing and embroidery, a great partner for tournaments, clubs, or teams. VII Apparel CO Creates the best jerseys in disc golf. Make sure you check out viiapparel.co to see all of their other offerings as well. Grab your first edition Running It with Nate Sexton t shirt. Get your pre order in now at viiapparel.co.
2: Stokely's
1: playing MPO
0: this year. Just saying. Yeah, (laughs) I know.
2: know. And I, I think. If I got myself in a little bit better shape and did a little more disc research, you know, I think I could probably gain gain 50 to 100 feet of my distance and stuff, and I would be okay. But I don't know if I want to go through that process right now. I don't know if my body can handle that. We'll see. We'll talk to Scott and see how he is doing here in
1: June and July. Yeah, send him out there and and test the waters a little bit, and then you you can make your decision.
2: And he's a different beast because he's so tall. He really puts some stresses and strains on some of his joints and stuff, you know, so he's going to be unique in that matter. That's kind of why he had a thought because, you know, that form, no matter how smooth it is, he still put a lot of stress on those elbows and wrists and stuff, as you know.
1: Yeah, you know, sure. You're a little different bit and unique
2: being and like, an understatement. Oh. Yes. Yes, you got that right. But always, I traveled quite a bit with Scott in the mid-90s as well. He's the first one that took me out to California and said, you got to come to Man- uh, Santa Cruz Masters Cup uh, and did that. So, yeah, it was a great time. And Texas as well. You know, that you mentioned that. VPL, like I said, that was maybe my first time beating Scott head to head. Oh, wow. You know, maybe once or twice before, but in smaller events, never at a big event had I beaten Scott. And, and Scott reminded me, once I beat him, he, I, I always beat him. He said it kind of sucked. But, uh, but you know, and we all grow. You know, we all got to move on. It's, you're not the same person you were last year or even last month sometimes. So,
0: I've heard Scott sure. say recently that you and him, like, you know, you were the person that he battled with uh, the most, that, you know, the memories that he had. And he said, you know, uh, a lot of people think that it'd be Ken Climo, but none of us really gave him. any Yeah. Guess,
2: Ken kind of won move. himself going away most of the time. He won by six, eight, 10 strokes a lot. He didn't win by one or two all that often. So, or even in playoffs all that often, you know, when other people would win, it wasn't by blogs. It was by, you know, skin and teeth and nail biting going on. So, you know, it was difficult for other people to break through, not just because they had to beat Kenny, but they had to beat somebody else. And Kenny wasn't having his great day either. So, um, yeah, he's right. I think he's right on because you remember the hard fought battles a little more so than you remember the, the easy cruises, I
1: think. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Looking at looking ahead to 2004, get back on the on the story here that that world championship was my first like big national tournament that I got to go to. I played in the amateur division. You absolutely crushed it. You won by nine shots there in Des Moines. I actually took a train from Buffalo, Jarrett, to get there. I remember I played a
2: commitment. Yeah,
1: I was I was I was. uh, Yeah, I took a train with my brother and my dad. My dad picked us up in Des Moines and we played the tournament. But yeah, I remember playing my rounds in AM and then we'd drive over to where the MPO was playing and watching you and watching Kenny and watching Dave Felberg and all these guys. And obviously for me uh as a young player, that was a really uh big experience and something that inspired me to to want to play on a big stage. And you know, you were the guy that was doing it the best that week. So I was really looking up to you uh back then and obviously still do for the the career you've had. So thank you for inspiring me and, and a lot of other people uh, that week and many other weeks.
2: Well, that's not a problem, man. I'm glad to do it. A lot of people have inspired me over the years, both disc golf and other sport-related, uh, and I'm glad they returned the favor. Um, and that just shows commitment. You were willing to take the train all the way over there, and I think that little story that you told is a great thing that I think we're not going to have much of anymore because we don't – I know some of the um, the bigger events have a, a side event run – with it in the AMs, but those AMs are playing all day. They don't have time to come over and watch the pros as much. Yeah, anymore. And we don't do the combined worlds anymore, although we're doing the combined age protected worlds now from now on. So that might be a moment for that to happen. But, you know, we're growing out of ourselves a little bit. and I think that's a small negative that we won't be able to have moments like that anymore, that we're too big for our own good in that respect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a combined, a
2: combined event, event like that really is beneficial in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, because there was no way, you know, at whatever, I, I was 19, I guess. There was no way I was going to travel to be a spectator right. all the way across right. the country. So yeah. the only way I got there to be in that position to watch you guys play was by being in a tournament myself and then having some extra time. And I understand why it can't really happen going forward. You can't really run a 5,000-player tournament very easily because <laughs> we're heading that way with these uh, yeah. these big championships with as many players want to get involved. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, kind of a sad thing to think. Uh, that that experience might not happen for people anymore because we used to do these. What he means by combined worlds is a worlds that had obviously amateur divisions, pro divisions at the same city at the same time. And that was kind of every four years thing back in the day. Mm. And I'm really happy that the time that I got to go and play the M worlds was one of them, you know, because it could have been another year when there was no pros there. And that was huge for me to get just, just to get to watch players that I look up to throw.
2: Des Moines had such a great field of courses that, both from testing your skill point and from a spectator standpoint, were spot on. You could get spectators through the courses, and it was fit for both the AMs and the pros. You know, so there was no kind of bullcrap stretch of five or six holes in any of the courses that were like, "Man, why are we playing these course these courses?" You know, that 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 didn't happen at in Des Moines. Uh, so, yeah, Moines,
1: it was it was amazing. Yes, it's a- just a great disc golf city if you ever get a chance anybody that's uh, traveling through or around that area, there is a huge number of fantastic courses within an hour or so of doing okay so let's see what do I got oh, I got a kind of a silly story here for you a funny story uh I had to go i had to go into your event history and sort to find the least money you've ever won in a victory to find this one
2: uh, it's a, it was
1: a c tier tournament it was the twenty fourteen Sneaky Pete Classic in Burlington Boy. north carolina Boy. and i I'm, I'm sure you'll remember this once I tell you the story but oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you were you were up by five against me with one round to go yeah i I put on a pretty big charge, I ended up shooting a ten fifty three rated round with three holes to go. We were tied the last two holes were like hundred foot par fours, almost gimmies for players at the level that we were at, where you could throw it down there four fifty and have almost nothing approach so right. The, we're, we're, we're three holes to go, this par three kind of over a valley, some little like pine trees guarding the basket. I threw my drive a little right, and you were a little short, and I putted first. And I had like probably a 40, 50 footer. I feel like
2: you were well outside the circle. Out
1: I was far. I was, yeah. See, now you're remembering good. So, oh, yeah. so I nailed the putt. I nailed the putt and I was psyched because you were short behind all the little Christmas trees. And I was, you were yeah. dead to rights. Like there's no way. And I was thinking, okay, I got him because I'm going to get these threes on these last two. There's really nothing you can do about it. Unless he throws something in on those par fours. And
2: I was thinking exactly the same way. What you're thinking right now, word for word, I was going, I was going through my head. I can't catch him. In. I
1: yeah I, I mean, <laughs> but then
2: that yeah, i'm not gonna catch him on these last two holes i can't give up the stroke in this
1: hole yeah so what you did and it, this shot is one of the more amazing shots i've ever seen even though it was just a c tier for 200 bucks <laughs> if i remember right you had a, i think you took an avr yeah and you you kind of looked over at me and said well i gotta skip it in and i was sort of like okay good luck yeah try you know <laughs> but because it, it was like you know how pine trees are like the branches were down low you know like yeah knee high and you're 40 feet back or something. And you ripped it right at the ground, skipped it underneath, heart of the chains, got the birdie. We, we ended up in the next two, just like we thought, and you beat me in the playoff. But it was just such an amazing, <laughs> had to have it shot, even though the pressure was really nothing because it was just kind of a silly weekend and we were just having fun. But it was just a shot that I'll always remember because it was like, man, I, think, I guess I'll have to skip it in under these trees from 50 feet away. And then to do that with a putter, it was just awesome.
2: Well, it's just one of those shots that you've probably done in a practice round, like out at say Shelly Sharp Memorial, you're stuck on the hole next to uh the restaurant over there on the right sure. side. And you're sure. stuck behind the pine tree, you skip with the under, under you know, skip off the top side of your disc or something, you do a pancake underneath there. You just goof around and have some fun doing it, you know. And I think on that course in that particular hole, playing with the guys over the years, you know, I've probably been there at that point three or four years in a row at that tournament, that course. So I played that hole, seen that little pine tree or cedar tree, whatever it was, grow a little more, a little more, a little more, and it was so big that it was just just right in the heart, it was right in my way. So, you know, I'd practiced little weird shots, but I'd never pulled it off. I had not done that shot and practiced and like, oh yeah, that's gonna be easy shot to pull off. It's just. <laughs> it. It's one of those where you practice everything you've played around. You're in all kinds of conditions. You've been around. You, this is why you just you play and you soak up as much disc golf as you can. So that in moments, you can be creative and think, oh, I can maybe do this. So I can possibly do this. Let's give it a try. You know? So, yeah. And it, I pulled it off and I laughed at myself and you weren't laughing
1: so much, but you were smiling.
2: <laughs> I mean, what are you going
1: to do? You see an amazing right. shot. You can't help but smile. I mean, it was yeah, like, just, it was just cool.
2: And I think uh, looking back, I was just glad I won the playoff instead of losing the playoff because it makes for a better story.
1: Definitely, <laughs> definitely. And plus, I mean, that 75 bucks you got on me, that, you know, that that's, doesn't, good that's good, not nothing. You know. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I got only a couple more things for you. I know it's late there on the East Coast. I, I really appreciate you joining. But uh, obviously, you, know, you went on. I, I can't not mention you won the USDGC again in 2006. PDGA Hall of Fame, class of 2013, piled up Masters titles in the 40-plus, I think seven Tim Selinskis or something like that, the U.S. Masters Championship, a couple world titles, and then again, 2020, 50-plus world title. Uh, I I heard you say you want to play until you're 70, but what does the future hold for you in, in disc golf?
2: Um, well, short term, uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, the the model that I've been doing is travel from like Thursday afternoon or evening until Sunday night or Monday morning. My wife works mornings, four days, Monday through Thursday. So I have to be home to be daddy duty. Uh, we can have the in-laws come and, um, help with the baby once in a while. But in general, I really enjoy being home with, with the baby. So I'm going to probably keep doing that model for a while. I don't really... This last year, we tried a couple of times and went to uh, Worlds and stuff like that, and I just didn't like being away from her more than a couple of days, so we might stick to that model. We'll go to a handful of events together as a a family, but the next two or three years, I'm open to whatever possibilities, if that model stays or if it grows or if it shrinks, I'm not too sure. Uh, The possibilities are endless with the way we've grown and what happens in the disc golf world. My playing career, as far as making my living, might be close to an end, but, you know, the business world of this golf is always bright in in the future, so who knows what that might entail, and I might have to travel to do a little promotion as far as that goes, so who knows what's going to happen. I do know that as far as long as my body can take it, I'm going to keep playing, and I like to think that my skill level should be enough where I can keep playing tournaments and have a good time. Who knows how many tournaments I will win, but we're not always in it to win it. We're just always in it to have a good time, and and uh grow as a person, right? So,
1: I, I'm going to slide my chips in on you're going to win plenty more. That that would be my <laughs> that would be my prediction. Uh, well, I can you
2: know, always move and play masters or grandmasters. You know, sometimes there's not even a 50 division down here. Sure, sure. You know? And I got lots of guys that I really enjoy the old school gentlemen that I play with once in a while. That are you know, uh Alberti, uh, uh you know, he's playing down two or three divisions sometimes and I get to play with him, you know. So there's lot, plenty of old people that are enjoyable to play with and are, have lots of skill level and have been around a long time and lots of new players that are new to the sport that are very athletic and just need to be taught a little bit and can really
1: take off as well. So Yeah, that's a perfect segue I, into into I'm what's pretty, pretty much so my last question. Oh, go I'm ahead, sorry.
2: For the, the future of disc golf, both young people and old people, because discs nowadays are at, at such... A stage where you can do anything you want if you can throw forehand you can throw overhand you can throw whatever way you want whatever your body type is good for whatever your attitude and energy level is good for the disc can handle it in yeah. my day of growing up in the 80s that was not the case if you were mainly a forehand thrower you were going to suffer playing frisbee golf but now we're playing disc golf and it's much more enjoyable
1: for a masters so uh, yeah anything that yeah, lets no, people be not, creative and different with their styles i think right. is awesome
2: we, we don't we don't uh we used to attract the fringe or non-athletes and now we are attracting heavy athletes they see the benefit in the athleticized part of this golf and it's fantastic our future is awesome
0: without a doubt Every single week in my disc golf league, there's somebody that pulls out a dyed disc out of their bag, and everybody sits, and they look at it, and they examine it, and they it's this big thing, and I've always wanted to be that guy. Now I am that guy because of my friends over at Greasy Dyes. That's Greasy, with a Z, Dyes. GreasyDyes.com. Guys, you owe it to yourself to go check out this website. Here's a guy that does amazing custom dye jobs. These are work of art on plastic, and they're affordable, which means you can take it, you can throw it in your bag, and you can be the guy at League showing off your awesome custom dye. Visit GreasyDyes.com. Use code RUNIT10. You guys already know. Save yourself a little bit of money. But do yourself a favor and check out Greasy Dyes on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Guys, the dye jobs on these discs are amazing. When we came across him and we started talking, I knew that if we were going to recommend a custom dyer, it was going to be Greasy Dyes on this show. GreasyDyes.com, code runit 10 save yourself some money, and get that awesome dye disc in your bag and be the star of next week's league or the next round that you're out there on the disc golf course.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and you kind of will lead me into what's pretty much my last question. Garrett might have something else, but uh, as you were talking about the guys that you've really enjoyed playing, I, I'm putting you on the spot, so if you forget anybody, it's my fault, not Barry's fault, guys, but I was wondering about a kind of a dream card to play on a foursome. Obviously, you're in there, three other players from your career uh, that you really love to battle or, or who, who you'd pick if you could just kind of lay out a card for yourself to go play tomorrow.
2: Well, you know, you kind of led me a little bit with old school, so I am going to go old school with this, and I'm going to go. I might cheat a little bit here with my first, pick. and <laughs> I'm going to. If my first pick is actually two, and you'll know why when I say who it is. You almost can't have one without the other. Jeff and Johnny Lissman.
1: Okay. If you're, have,
2: if you're going to have fun and learn and be blown away by the strangest and weirdest shots and conversations as well, they are yeah. some deep individuals. Have lots of great life experiences. Jeff and Johnny Lisman, that's my number one pick.
1: We'll um, give you a five-some. You got a five-some if you want it. All
2: right. All right. We'll do five-some. Um, then I think the obvious one we've talked about, we've mentioned his name a handful of times today, is Scott Stokely. Um, you know, for the almost exact same reasons, you're going to see things you don't see every day from a disc golf standpoint. Plus, he's got an awesome range of life experiences and an awesome storyteller and a great person to talk to. Um, and then, um, my last and final, I'm going to have to go personal and just because I miss the guy so damn much, I have not been up to Wisconsin to see him or play with him, Duster Don Hoffman. You probably know that name and know the individual as well. Um, just barely.
1: Is, I don't I don't know that I've I don't know that I've had the pleasure, but I've heard the name.
2: The Johnny Appleseed of Wisconsin disc golf. He is the reason why Wisconsin disc golf is where it's at today. He pushed the envelope and pushed the train hit, him him and his wife Terry in the early days pushed Wisconsin disc off to where it was creating the, uh, the the, uh, Wisconsin summer tour uh, and pushing all the tournament directors to get better. And he was a pretty good forehand player for an old guy. Awesome. And an awesome storyteller. It doesn't get much better than that as well as a storyteller. So some great storytellers, some great golfers that would be my foursome right there. Fivesome, I
1: guess. Yeah, man, I like it. It's a good answer. Anyways, man, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show and tell us a couple of stories. <laughs> We'd love to have you back sometime and don't dive a little deeper into some of this stuff, but I know it's late over there. Uh, I, I got I'm on the West coast. So I always making my guests stay up late when they're based on the East coast or if their name's Jarrett and they do every show, they have got to stay up late <laughs> too. But, <That's> right. uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Barry. And I, I wish you the best no of luck problem. in this coming season.
2: Thank you. I wish you luck as well. Team captain, glad to see you're back on the team for another couple of years uh, look forward to seeing your name up there in big tournaments and small tournaments. Uh, I know you probably don't travel as much as you maybe would prefer with the family as well, but you have to find balance and you have to play your favorite events as well. Uh, you don't go to tournaments. You don't like to play. Right. So sure. Go, go back to your favorite events as much as you can uh, travel safely and travel well, uh, practice hard, live hard. And it always works out in the end. Right.
1: All right, man. Sounds good to me. That's advice I can take. All right. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Jared. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. See ya. Well, Nate, we've been talking for so long
0: about getting Barry Schultz on and we finally were able to get together with him and he didn't disappoint, man. That guy is as awesome to chat with and telling stories as he is on the course.
1: Yeah. And definitely in that Mount Rushmore conversation, literally one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, a guy that I've looked up to for a really long time and, and one of the best champions we've ever had in this game.
0: Yeah. There's a lot. A lot of people in the world who can say they lost to Ken Climo. Not so many that can say that they, they gave Kenny some losses. So, um, <laughs> pretty, uh, pr- pretty cool when that happens. And, uh, and he's just an awesome guy. So yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool and, uh, have an old inn of a guy on. Um, I, you know, I always wonder, man, like, the people say all the time that there just wasn't the kind of competition back then. The competition is much, much more difficult right now. But as I'm doing research for these shows and I'm looking at the names that some of these people are competing with, I mean, there was some amazing, amazing golfers back then as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Schultz, this guy is past 50 years old and admittedly, spending a lot more time with his family as he wants to lately, like not being able to practice. And today he's 10, 19 rated even now. So Barry's a beast today. He's taking great care of himself. He's competitive now.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And like you said, we've, we've had so many of the greats. and each week you're like, we got to get Barry Schultz and that really rounds it up. So we got him. So guys, thank you. Uh, thank you for being able to sit through and listen to it with us. And, uh, God, I just, I'm still blown away looking at his statistics. Um, he, guy just played some amazing golf, Hall of Famer. And, uh, and it was really cool to be able to sit down and chat with him. Uh, Nate, lots of big things going on in disc golf. All the excitement, all the signings. People are coming here. People are going there. People are re signing. We're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out before we talk too much about it. But we mentioned it in the opening. Um, you know, you re signed three years, double G re upped. Uh, um, Innova's still out there making what I think are the best discs on the market. So um, I, I know we, I see a lot of things on the internet and people are... Innova Champion Discs is still the leader in, in discs. And uh, and I just think that it's it's crazy, the things that people are thinking because of, of different player signings. Um, Innova's going strong, and I think it's going to be a big 2022 for Innova Champion Discs. Oh,
1: I think so, too. I mean... If the discs didn't work for me using them all these years, man, they're the they're the best I've ever used. I, I don't really feel like I need anything in my bag. And obviously this uh, every every off season there's a lot of movement, but I'm I'm just gonna do what I do and uh, continue to play and compete against everybody. I'm really looking forward to this season.
0: Yeah, as am I. So, uh, guys, thank you for once again joining us. Awesome interview with Barry Schultz. Make sure you support our sponsors, guys. It means so much to us and to them. A uh, huge thank you to uh, Rogue Discs, of course. Uh, until next time. Nate, I've been playing. Did I tell you, man, I'm playing Winter League out here in Buffalo. I had to play Winter League yesterday. It was rainy. It was cold. But you know when I'm out there, man, there's no way that I'm laying it up. I don't think you're going to get anywhere doing that anyway. You got to run. Got to run it, guys. Until next time, I'm Jared Orr. He is Nate Sexton. We are out of time. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next week for running it with Nate Sexton.